Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim In the name of Allah, the most beneficent, the most merciful The Islamic Propagation Office at Rabwa is pleased to present to you this lecture Entitled The Mountain Pass By Muhammad al-Sharif Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Inna alhamdulillah Nahmaduhu subhanahu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شُرُورِ أَنفُسِنَا وَمِنْ سَيِّئَاتِ أَعْمَالِنَا مَنْ يَهْدِهِ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى فَلَا مُضِلَّ لَهُ وَمَنْ يُضْلِلْ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمَّا بَعْدُ فَأُوصِيكُمْ وَنَفْسِي بِتَقْوَى اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ فَقَدْ أَمَرَنَا اللَّهُ تَعَالَى بِذَلِكَ فِي كِتَابِهِ الْكَرِيمِ فقال تعالى يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون وقال تعالى يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا ثم أما بعد when you were growing up, did you grow up under the shade of a mountain? Where I grew up in Canada, we didn't have too many mountains. And in fact, when we would visit our home country of Egypt when we were young, there was also not too many mountains. But we did have the opportunity, because there were buildings there, that may have been nine floors or ten floors high, and they wouldn't have elevators in these buildings. And so the person got a chance of what it's like to climb a mountain every day. And many of you from your countries, you know there's buildings like this. So if someone found themselves confronted with a nine-story building, and then you find out that your relatives, they live on the ninth story or the tenth story, and usually they're always on the ninth floor or the tenth floor, you couldn't take those steps one at a time. You'd never make it. And in fact, some of your older relatives that are with you, they'll take it one step at a time, and you know it might take them 20 minutes to climb up. Sometimes they'll just say, meet me down here. You have to, from the very beginning, gather your strength, take a deep breath, and start charging up the stairs. Two steps at a time, three steps at a time, not looking at what floor you're on, not pausing, just going, 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 going until you make it to the top and then you can start registering what just happened there. A mountain is very similar to this. If someone wishes to make it up a very tall mountain, a very steep mountain, they have to have the same determination. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about a mountain pass, the steep mountain incline in the Qur'an. And it's a very enormous mountain that needs our attention. Because Allah asks and poses the question, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْعَقَبَةِ What will make you understand what the mountain pass is? And so the question is, what mountain? Ya Rabbi, we will climb it. But tell us what it is. What are the steps of the mountain? And then Allah Azza wa says, أو إطعام في يوم ذي مسغبة يتيما ذا مقربة أو مسكينا ذا متربة 
ثم كان من الذين آمنوا وتواصوا بالصبر وتواصوا بالمرحمة أولئك أصحاب الميمنة These are the steps of the mountain. Allah Azawajal says, how do you climb it? What's the first step? فَكُّ رَقَبَ To free slaves. أَوْ إِطْعَامٌ فِي يَوْمٍ ذِي مَسْغَبَ Or to feed, the second step after that is to feed people on a day of severe hunger. When you need the money the most, that's when you should be feeding people. Who should you feed? مِسْكِينَ يَتِيمًا ذَا مَقْرَبَ An orphan who's very close and relative to you. أَوْ مِسْكِينًا ذَا مَتْرَبَ Or a homeless, a person who's in so much misery that they're grasping the the dirt, ذَا مَتْرَبَ From their misery, ثُمَّ كَانَ مِنَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا And they are of those who had iman when they did this. وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالصَّبْرِ And they encouraged people in patience. وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالْمَرْحَمَةِ And encouraged mercy amongst one another. Allah Azza wa Jal says, أُولَٰئِكَ أَصْحَابُ الْمَيْمَنَةِ that these are the people of the right. Dear brothers and sisters, if we look at the institutions that take care of the people that need special care, look at them and you will not find Muslim soup kitchens. They won't be there. Look a little further for those who need a home or need rehabilitation. You will not find Muslim home shelters. Look a little further, if a woman is beaten and she needs to go to a shelter for battered women, she will not go to the masjid. She will not go to a local imam. She will most likely go to the Christians. And in fact, even our Muslim women will go to the Christians. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Taking care of the society is not meant to be a PR stunt, a public relations stunt. Many times in our masajid, we have a day where we feed the hungry people. And then at the end of the day, everybody runs home to Fox News and CNN and they try seeing, did we have any coverage or not? And when the coverage is, oh, they said, oh, we only fed 10 people. No, we fed 100 people. Look, they're always against the Muslims. Almost as if our effort was in vain for that day. But taking care of the society wasn't meant to be a PR stunt. It's in fact a core and a fundamental aspect of a person's iman. It's fundamental in a person's iman. And in fact, this is the same message that Allah sent to the Jews and the Christians. And out of the three, especially in this country, it is the Christians that understood this message. And they are the ones who went out to help the people, whether they were Christian or they were not. But it is a fundamental part of our deen. And today, inshallah, we're going to be explaining this. <coughs> Consider the following verses. In Surah Al-Haqqah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala couples the disbelief of the kafir, his disbelief with the fact that he doesn't feed other people. The hungry, he doesn't feed them. Allah Azza wa Jal says, إِنَّهُ كَانَ لَا يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ الْعَظِيمِ That he wasn't one of those who used to believe in Allah the Great. وَلَا يَحُضُّ عَلَى طَعَامِ الْمِسْكِينَ And he wouldn't encourage anybody else to feed 
the masakin, to feed the hungry and to feed the poor. And I want you to notice in the verses that I'm going to be uh, reciting right now, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not saying that He didn't feed them Himself. The verses come, وَلَا يَحُضُّ He never encouraged anybody else to feed. It was never on His tongue. He never cared to tell people, look, there's some homeless outside, let's go and help them. That was His coupling with His kufr, was that He made this a characteristic of Himself. And in our society, we have a lot of uh, talk shows, and we're always trying to interview people, and it's very exciting. Oh, today we have someone to interview. Imagine if they could bring someone back from the dead. And not anybody from the dead, but they actually have someone today who's been to hellfire. And they brought him on TV. Today we have this person of hellfire, and he may, you know, in the state that he may be in. The first question, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us this interview in the Quran. مَا سَلَكَكُمْ فِي سَقَرٍ If we ask the person, why did you arrive in hellfire? What was the reason that made you go to hellfire? They'll say, قَالُوا لَمْ مِنَ الْمُصَلِّينَ Answer number one, why are we in hellfire? Because we never did our namaz. We never did our salah. We never used to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why they're in hellfire. قَالُوا لَمْ نَكُمْ مِنَ الْمُصَلِّينَ وَلَمْ نَكُمْ And in our lives, we never used to feed the hungry people. We spent our lives not doing salah, and we spent our lives not feeding the hungry people. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us, because I'm saying these things, and many of you I know are thinking that this is the characteristic of many of the Muslims. وَالْعِيَاذُ billah. And in Surah Al-Fajr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about who the arrogant person is. That you do not honor the orphans. And you do not encourage the feeding of the poor. And in Surah Al-Ma'oon, and Allah knows that these are the surahs we're going to be reciting often in salah. It's a short surah, but the meanings are very condensed and powerful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking all of us, Did you see the person who disbelieves in the recompense, believes in, disbelieves in the day of judgment? Did you see him? What will be your answer? You will say, what does he look like? What does he look like, Ya Rabbi? You know what he looks like? He's the one who's pushing away the orphans. And he's the one who's not encouraging the feeding of the poor. Sheikh Ja'far Idris, Hafidahullah, was contemplating on these verses. And if you notice these verses, all of them that I recited were Meccan surahs. Of the very first surahs to be revealed. I recited Surah Al-Muddathir, you saw Surah Al-Fajr, Surah Ma'un. They are Meccan surahs. So you look back in the time of Mecca when these surahs were revealed, how many Muslims were there at that time? There was only a few. So could it be that all these verses are only talking about 
a Muslim taking care of a Muslim only, it's not true. These verses are talking about a Muslim taking responsibility for the entire society. And we will see this from the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam received the first message of Iqra, he came home to his wife Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, saying, Zammiluni, Zammiluni. And then he felt fear of what had just happened. What did Khadija radiallahu anha say to him in reply? She said, Kalla la Allahu abada. She said, Nay, Allah will never disgrace you. What were the reasons why you won't be disgraced? She said, rahim. She said, You unite your family. That you take care of the people, the weak in the society, and you bear their burden. She said that you take care and you're honorable of all guests and you bear harm in the path of truthfulness. This was the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam before the wahi began coming down to him. And after, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When I was growing up in Canada, on the prairies, there weren't too many um, halal meat shops, or even halal meat restaurants and so on. And so my father would go out to the farm, and he would slaughter for the community and come back and sell it to the people in the local masjid. And this wasn't too long ago. And now my father may not recall this, but there was one brother who became Muslim. And it wasn't too often that people became Muslim. It's a very cold place. There's not too much da'wah going on. But this brother became Muslim. He came to the masjid. And everybody, as they came up and they were hugging him, they started telling him what the most important fundamental of Islam is. What is it? <laughs> to eat halal chicken. Right? To eat halal chicken. And as we say in Arabic, eat halal chicken. And everybody kept saying this to him. You have to make sure you eat halal chicken. This is very important to eat halal chicken. And this was the message that he kept hearing. Eat halal chicken, eat halal chicken, eat halal chicken. And he said, but your father Muhammad did something different. He said, your father, after everybody had said their, you know, made their uh, claims to me, your father took me by the hand to, the, to his car took out some meat and he said, here, take this home to your family. He actually gave me halal meat to take home. It was the difference between words and actions and he never forgot that. What have we done as a collective community for the Americans? What have we done for them? You know, there, a lot of times people will say in their editorials, in their newspapers, let's just kick out all the Muslims. Who cares about them? Why should we uh, compromise their security? You'll see them saying things like that. And an interesting one of the shiuch said, if they did kick us out, would anybody care? Would they lose anything? Many of us, our own neighbors don't even know. We can live beside someone for four or five years and they have no idea who we are. If we got vacated, we got kicked out of the country, they would only know that there is a, a vacated apartment there. But they say they would have 
no reflection on their own lives, they wouldn't be missing out on anything because we're not doing anything for them. Compare this to if they said, let's kick out all these uh, corrupt Catholics. Let's kick them all out of the country, every last one of them. You would have in this country 630 hospitals shut down. These are Catholic hospitals. And many of you have been to their hospitals. And you've taken care maybe of a nurse whose part-time job is a nun. You will see crosses up in the, in the hallways of those hospitals. They are Christian hospitals. And 16% of all Americans at some point in their lives is nursed in these hospitals. And what have we done in comparison? The upper class of Mecca, they saw Rasulullah wasallam hanging out and with, with the poor people of Mecca. And now the Prophet ﷺ wasn't poor. He was of the most eminent of the society, of Quraysh. But he sat with slaves and he sat with poor people. Of which were Bilal anhu, And we saw Suhaib and Ammar and Ibn Mas'ud ajma'een. And so Abu Jahl, only looking at this, he said, O oh Muhammad, إِن كُنْتَ تُرِيدْ أَنْ نَجْلِسْ مَعَكَ فَطْرُدْ He said, if you want us to sit with you, listen to what Islam is about, we will sit, but just as long as you kick out these poor people, as long as you kick out the slaves from this gathering, we will come and sit with you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in the Qur'an, وَلَا تَطْرُدِ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَطْرُدِ Do not expel those who call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, call upon their Lord in the mornings and the evenings, يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَا Hoping for the countenance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in the heated debate, between Heraql, the king, the Roman king, and Abu Sufyan. Abu Sufyan wasn't Muslim at this time. And so he was, he was being asked questions about the Prophet ﷺ. So he was hoping to say something bad about the Prophet, but he wasn't going to lie. So when Heraql asked him, Ya Abu Sufyan, He said, Oh Abu Sufyan, are the weak of the society following him, or is it the rich and eminent people? And Abu Sufyan said, Ha, now's my chance. He said, Bel He said, rather, it's the weak ones that are following him. And then Heraql replied, Ula'ika atba'ur rusul. He said, these are the followers of true prophets. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we know from the seerah, when he passed away, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Bakr and Umar, they went out to visit an elderly woman to enliven the sunnah. Okay? So it was part of the Prophet sallallahu sunnah to go to the corners of the city to visit old women in their house, speak to them, find out how they're doing, help them if they needed anything. A person may ask the question, wasn't the Prophet sallallahu too busy for that? We know anybody who's involved in da'wah, even in our times, they don't have time even to phone their mother. Right? And even my mother will say, she's going to hear the tape and she's going to go, see Muhammad, you telling people this? The people don't even have time to phone their own parents or visit their relatives, let alone people that aren't related to them. And the Prophet ﷺ was the messenger of Allah. 
sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So why would he do it? Why couldn't he delegate some of his companions to go? And the answer is very simple. The Prophet would visit these people because it allowed knowledge to enter their hearts in a way that no annual conference and no lectures will enter their hearts. These visits meant much more to them than a Discover Islam brochure to be handed out as they walk in the streets. And this allowed knowledge to enter their hearts which couldn't enter with khutbahs and speeches. And how far have we strayed from the sunnah of Al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wasallam? And a region like College Park, and we know alcohol is haram for us, right? Nobody drinks, alhamdulillah. We know it's haram, but what have we done for those people who are indulged in this sin? It's haram for them too. Allah made it haram for everyone. How, what are we doing to help the people? In a region like College Park, a very local region, you will see that during the day, there may be 25 Alcoholics Anonymous halaqas during the day. Right? And I say halaqas because they're done in churches most often. You go to the basement of a church, they're the ones who open their doors so the people can be rehabilitated and get away from this vice of drinking alcohol, 25 during the day. That means like, just the, you know, al-yawm al-layla, this is the yawm. In the night, there may be 16, maybe 20. And I know some brothers that fell into this uh, disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they fell into drinking alcohol. They didn't come to the imam of the masjid. It's to the Christians, who will help them rehabilitate. And when they take that book, you know, and they, and they're reading through their, their, um, they're reading through the book, the rehabilitation program, they realize that this is the message of the Quran, in fact. And many of them will come and say, can we make a book like this with a Muslim tune? Because maybe number one is to recognize that you have a higher being. Basically, their principle number one is to believe in La ilaha illallah. <clears throat> and dear brothers and sisters, the, I'm, I'm saying this, Alcoholics Anonymous, during normal days, it'll come more often than your metro. You'll have it every maybe 15 minutes or 20, 30 minutes, you'd be able to go to one of these halaqat. During holiday season, like we're in now, that number doubles. There may be 70 classes going on because they know people lose control during these times. And so they put in a double effort in order to take care of those people. They'll even have classes like that for the deaf. And they'll have also for, for blind and so on. And so a person may reply and say, we don't have enough Muslims to do this. But is that true? Alhamdulillah, we have lots of Muslims. And if you want to see them, just tell them that we're having a Muslim day at Six Flags. And they will come. In fact, six flags, six flags might not even be big enough. And I know that some of the conferences weren't able to gather as many people as events at Six Flags gathered in maybe two years. They just did it on the second year that they did it. They doubled the number that would normally go to Islam or Islamic lectures. Because it's about entertaining oneself. And human beings are good at that. 
But what have we done for Islam and what have we done for the people? In the recent uh, DC conference, there's a sister by the name of uh, Sister Ingrid Madison. She's Canadian. And when she converted to Islam, she said that she didn't convert to Islam because she thought that Islam liberated women. This is an issue that we keep telling the people, Islam liberated women, Islam liberated women. Nobody believes that. And nobody enters Islam because of it. And you will not see the, da- the message of the Qur'an coming, we're liberating women. That wasn't a main theme of the Qur'an. But we keep hitting that on the head. And she said that she never became Muslim because of that. She also never became Muslim because she thought Islam was the greatest civilization. Another theme that we keep trying to tell people, and they just look at our situation and they go, what are you talking about? But we keep telling them we're the greatest civilization. And she never entered Islam because of this. She said that I entered Islam when I understood my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's mentioned in the seerah narrations, of a, it mentions a woman who became very disturbed at the tribulations that were happening in Mecca because of this man named Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So she said once and for all, she's going to leave Mecca. Very sad, but she just had too much of this and she was leaving. And so an honorable man saw her with these uh, heavy bags and he said, allow me to help you on your journey. And she said, you can help me, but I'm making one condition to you. She said, don't talk about Muhammad. Because of him, there's no peace and I have trouble in my mind. So don't talk about Muhammad. And as we walk along together, we'll get along just fine. And as they walked along, she began speaking very badly about this man named Muhammad. About how he's misled all the weak ones and the poor ones and the slaves. They think they've all found wealth and freedom following his ways. And when they finally came to their destination, and she was thanking him, this very honorable man, and then she said, you know, it's funny, I didn't ask you your name, what's your name? She said, what's that? I may be hard of hearing. I thought you said your name was Muhammad. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She said, if you're Muhammad, then take me back to Mecca. Take my bags and take me back to Mecca because it's only in you that I can hope for peace. An Abi Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala anhu anna rajulan shaka ila rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qaswata qalbi faqala amsih ra'sal yateem wa at'im al-miskeen. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu narrates that a man came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam complaining of his heavy heart. Something that many of us have. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lighten our hearts. And the Prophet sallallahu gave him the formula to lighten his heart and lighten his uh, pain and sadness. He said, wipe the head of the orphan and feed the needy people. The ulama in our past, they understood this very well that this was a fundamental part of our deen. So in addition to the teaching and the da'wah that they would do, they would also make sure to take care of their society. Ali ibn al-Husayn rahimahullah ta'ala, 
When he passed away, they found on his back some very dark and deep bruises. And so those people who were washing his body, they asked about this, and they said that not too many people knew. And it was a very quiet practice that he had. But when people would go to sleep at night, he would carry bags of flour on his back. Every day, until he had permanent bruises in his back. He would go out with this flower on his back to the homes of the needy people. And he would leave the flower at the door so that the people who were there in, in their homes, he would leave the flower at the door so that when they would wake up in the morning, they would find the food there. They would find the flower so they could make bread. Feeding people so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not forget him on a day when he would be most in need of his mercy, subhanahu wa ta'ala. When I was growing up, we used to go to Sunday school. I think you might have a Sunday school here. In different communities, they have Sunday schools. And the teacher will very often say this hadith. And when I was young, it, I didn't understand this hadith. And I've only recently come to under, understand it. And I'm going to share this with you. The teacher would tell us the situation that happened when the man came to Aisha radiallahu anha and asked her, what was the character of the Prophet ﷺ? You know the hadith. She replied, كَانَ خُلُقُهُ Quran." His khuluq, his character, was the Qur'an. The problem that happened for me, and I'm sure some of you may be thinking of this, how is a surah like, قُلْهُ أَحَدٍ How is a surah like, تَبَّتْ يَدَ أَبِي How are those surahs the character of Rasulullah ﷺ? And I realized later, we did a tafsir class very recently. And I realized why we didn't understand this hadith. Because we do not understand the Qur'an. There's no doubt about it. We do not understand the message of the Qur'an. We do not understand the khuluq that is taught to us in the Qur'an. These verses that are recited are only a little example of the type of character that's in Juz'amma itself. Surahs that we recite every single day, but we don't understand it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked question after question, أَرَأَيْتَ أَلَمْ تَرَى وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ These are questions that a person has to pay attention to. He's asking you. But if someone recites it not understanding, where does, on what ears do those verses fall? Dear brothers and sisters, today I'm going to make a bold proposal for all of us who are involved in da'wah. And it's only befitting that we're all people of da'wah. This is why we've come to this country, to pass on the message of Islam. And that is that we remodel our da'wah efforts towards helping the people. Not just trying to uh, let go of some news about Islam, but actually sincerely help the people who need help. And so we should help those who are hungry. Help those people who are homeless. Help those people who are downtrodden. Help the people that are illiterate. Help the abused people. Help the people who are scared. Help everyone who needs help. And if we truly adopt this da'wah mission, a mission that Islam requires us, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us more barakah in our da'wah efforts. And more barakah in being able to pass on the message of Islam to these people. 
One of the sisters in our tafsir class, she wrote a dua, and I'm going to share it with you and with it I conclude. She said that the one thing that I can say that I've truly learned from this tafsir course was the aqaba, the mountain pass. Close your eyes and just run for it. May Allah help me to implement, implement it in my life and may Allah make your aqaba easy for you too. Insha'Allah. إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعذكم لعلكم تذكرون فاذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم واشكروه على نعمه يزدكم ولذكر الله أكبر الله يعلم ما تصنعون In conclusion, we ask Allah that He brings you benefit through this lecture. For more information, you may contact us through the following address. The Islamic Propagation Office Rabwa, P.O. Box 29457 Riyal 114-577 Saudi Arabia Phone 445-4900 Feel free to visit our website at www.islamhouse.com Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh